0: Welcome to What the Risk, Exposing Business Blind Spots, an interview-based podcast series that discusses risk management topics. Have you ever been blindsided in a business situation? Think about your entire computer system going down, a supplier that cannot deliver, or your biggest customer declaring bankruptcy, or your new marketing strategy completely missing the mark. These are visceral what the risk moments. Your exact words may be different, but the feeling is the same. When everyone's eyes are focused on the next sale, high impact, low visibility risks often get overlooked. We call these blind spots, and these blind spots cause what the risk moments. I am your host, Larry Gordon of Gordon Risk Solutions. Join us on this journey as we learn to ask the right questions, expose potential pitfalls, and empower you to turn the what the risk moments into I've got this victories. Welcome to episode 106, the sixth episode, first season of the What The Risk podcast. This episode is going to focus on customer insights. The key topics we're going to cover is understanding your customer better, identifying market opportunities, and what the impact is on the entire business, not just on the product or the marketing department. Now, we all know customers drive our business, and strong resilient businesses have the ability to identify changes in the market, changes in our customer behavior, and changes in their needs. These companies are able to pivot and deliver products where the customer's needs are. On the other hand, we've all seen companies that go out of business that stay true to their single product that they started with and don't want to change or don't want to understand the change and meet the customer's needs. This lack of shifting is a key risk that leads 34% of new businesses to fail because their product market fit just isn't right. Now, customer insights is not just about what customers want today. It's about understanding the trends. It's understanding the customer's needs and understanding what might take place in your segment, in your product industry as you go forward. This is going to be key and critical. The bottom line is, when's the last time you or your company spent the time and resources and really looked at your customers, their current needs, their potential future needs, and what those trends are, and really defining the customer problem that they're trying to solve with your product? Our guest today is uniquely qualified to unpack a lot of this and understand what the risk moments when it comes to the customer insights so we can learn and expose our business blind spots through this risk management approach before our customers find a better solution elsewhere. Dawn Cunningham is our guest today. Dawn has over 30 years of customer insights experience and currently is working with Civo Insights out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. She's formerly the chief insights officer at 3M, where she introduced and built out the customer insights discipline. Prior to 3M, Dawn worked at General Mills, including the joint venture with Nestle on their international brands. She's worked on brands that are currently in your pantry and refrigerator at the moment. In addition to building out brands in large, complex companies, Dawn has built them in smaller, more nimble and entrepreneurial organizations where she focused on new product innovation, brand building, and customer experience. We're fortunate to have Dawn with us today. Dawn, welcome to the What The Risk podcast.
1: Thanks, Larry. I'm excited to be here today.
0: Well, great. So as we do the the episode. I want to make sure we get everybody the foundation. So can you talk to us about what a consumer insights person does?
1: Yes, absolutely. There's lengthy descriptions about what a consumer or customer insights person does, but the most basic thing that you want to think about is that an insights person helps you understand what your consumers or customers want and need, even if they don't recognize that they need it. So that you can create products and or communications that are relevant to them. This can be, I mean, that really right there, that is the most basic definition of why you would employ the, uh, the an expert that does consumer insights. But those can, uh, those creation of products or communications, it can be short term. It can be long-term, it can be what products do I need to be putting into the marketplace in five years' time? What products do I need to be putting in place in two years' time? And how might I need to fix the products that I have in market today to make it even more relevant to the consumer's changing demands? The same with communications, you can think about what you need to be saying today that is most relevant, as well as thinking about where your comms creative strategy needs to go going forward.
0: Well, that's great. So can you tell us about the kind of products you've worked on, both the packaged goods and other things, just so everybody has some context?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned it earlier that a lot of the products that I've worked on are probably in your pantry or in your office drawer today, but there are others that are much less well-known. Within the CPG or consumer packaged goods space, I've worked on such well-known brands as Cheerios, YoPlay, Pillsbury, Progresso Soup, Airborne, Immune Supplements, Post-It Notes, Scotch Tape, um, and the 3M brand itself. This has mostly been in retail, but also in B2B, in areas such as restaurants, hotels, schools, the military, etc. cetera. At the 3M company, where I spent the past 10 years, I had the opportunity to work across dozens and dozens of industries 3M plays in over 100 industries so it gave me the opportunity to work on 3M products in areas such as healthcare personal safety which we all know about now since covid masks for example and a number of other products in the construction industry electrical industry food safety electronics aerospace and that list goes on and on
0: Well that's great so when we We have people that on the line today listening to us that are business leaders in both product and services. Is there a difference between how you do consumer insights for products versus services?
1: Actually, the difference in approach varies very minimally due to the products or service in which you are playing. All of what I just said a moment ago, those various industries from food in your pantry to to aerospace, the approaches or the methodology mm-hmm. to identify customer consumer insights is pretty much the same. Where the approach does change is mostly due to the business question that has been asked or that needs to be answered. Is your question about products? Is your question about needs? Is your pre- question about the future or a problem that you're having today? Those are the kinds of questions that will definitely vary the approach. It can also vary based on your own resources or your constraints. How much money and time do you have to invest in the learning? But most importantly, I think the approach can vary based on the risk associated with knowing or not knowing that answer. So for example, are you planning to spend significantly behind whatever the answer is? Or is it more of a nice to know? Is it something that you're pretty comfortable with, but you just want to confirm? Are investors asking for evidence of your business's due diligence and likelihood of success? Those are the types of questions that also um, will change or can vary the approach based on that.
0: Okay, that's great. So you're clearly passionate about all the things you've done over the years with Consumer Insights. Tell us what you're working on now that excites you.
1: Well, while it's not really new news to everybody, it still is to somebody, to some teams. And I enjoy working with organizations on something that I was really, really passionate about and that I focused on a lot for the past five or six years at 3M. And that is helping organizations move From a more traditional market research collection model to more of an agile market research through the use of technology and platforms. These platforms dramatically improve productivity and efficiency. But importantly, and this is where the real benefit comes in, it requires change management by the people involved, not just the consumer insights experts, but the recipients. The people who need to absorb the, the information and the idea is that it moves in a much more fast-paced less perfect world and i think that this is really exciting for teams um, or businesses that are smaller more entrepreneurial and maybe have smaller budgets it's an idea of continual learning as opposed to big buckets of learning in in points in time
0: okay good so when we think about all the things you've done over your career, what are the lessons learned that you had the most value from that really has helped you either kind of pivot or do an inflection point in your career, or that really helped you leverage? What are your biggest lessons learned?
1: Well, I would say that while it's a little bit embarrassing, probably because I pride myself in understanding the people around me and, and looking for, you know, unstated, um insights but when i first moved to 3m i had only been at 3m for less than a month the chief technology officer called me to his office and said i need you to fix the innovation process and that was coming from the company who prided themselves on being the innovation company and i was new there and so obviously the first thing i had to do was start by understanding what the current process was, where there were trouble, where it was or wasn't um, delivering the outputs that the, the CTO wanted, and what you know, just why it wasn't working, where might the broken points be? And I had a lot of innovation experience from my previous from working at General Mills and also at Airborne, and so we, I went about looking into the process and finding opportunities where things could be a little bit better. And once I discovered that, I packaged it up nicely and started to deliver that news about what was broken and what could therefore be fixed. And I learned very, very quickly that I did not yet have the credibility to be in this company and in this space and be talking to hundreds and hundreds of people about how their current system was broken. I I was asked to fix it, but I needed to do a better job of understanding the audience and understanding that the way I had communicated results or learning for 25-some years previously wasn't the same. At this company that wasn't a marketing powerhouse they didn't have customer or consumer insights and they really at that time didn't have many people coming from the outside in in leadership positions, so I learned very quickly that. You really needed to take the time to know your audience. And it just sounds so obvious. At the beginning I said, it's embarrassing now. I thought I knew the audience. I had had a similar audience for some 30 years, but it really was different and I hadn't noticed that. You have to tailor your message for acceptance. If you're planning to make change and to drive change, you have to be able to lay out um, the opportunities in the current process in a way that is acceptable. And to do that, I trialed and pivoted in more space, safe spaces. I sort of retrenched, found small groups that were in a way safe or friends of insights or had some experience, you know, different, similar experience previously. And I tried different ways of talking about it. It was such an important message coming from the very top of the organization. I knew I had to get it right. So time, second time through when I was really ready to roll it all out, I had a much better approach and um, a much more acceptable, I think a message that was easier to accept and hear.
0: Well, that goes to the culture of how do you build a culture of the customer insights? How do you bring together the, the observations and the feedback from your customer into a central place to be able to leverage? So uh, that's a great, great example. So when you think about how to build culture repeatedly at future companies, God, what's your key message on that one based on your lesson learned?
1: Yeah. Well, the first lesson is that it has to start at the top. Um, meaning the CTO asked me to do this, but you know, of course there's 95,000 employees, so it wasn't going to be Announced across the entire organization, but generally speaking, in a smaller, more you know, nimble organization, if that were known, that the second person, the most important person in the company, really from a hierarchy standpoint, wanted an individual to look at and explore an entire uh, process that was near and dear to the hearts of people. Come, that message needed to come from the top. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what happens if you hire somebody to go and change manager to start a consumer insights program or to talk to customers and bring that back, um, they will spend, you will waste money and that person will waste time spinning their wheels, trying to bring messages back that might fall on deaf ears or to people who who don't understand that there's an overall strategy or ask. So I think that's the most important thing is to really have a connection at the top of the organization, announce that you are going to be more customer-centric, engage in consumer or customer experience, et cetera, so that the organization becomes open to to learning and hearing about things differently.
0: Well, I think that's really good insights because I've seen organizations that one person is pulling the oar in one direction and everybody else is pulling oars in different directions. And without that buy-in, that said, okay, we're trying to do this together to reach a common goal, uh, less about fiefdoms, less about different motivations, but more about kind of one goal and without the pride of authorship, but more pride of where you go, makes a difference.
1: Yeah, it does, absolutely.
0: So when we think about that and we have consumer insights is not necessarily looked at as a risk to an organization. They don't talk about it in the risk sense but if you don't do it right, it becomes a real risk. And so yeah. can you talk through some of the things that you've seen from a risk reward perspective that, yeah. uh, kind of play into kind of why you need to be doing this and kind of what the risks are.
1: Right. First, I'm going to reframe a little bit what you just said, if I may, Larry, sure. um, just the you don't need to think about risk management of your customer insights program you really should be thinking about the risk and reward or risk management of accurately knowing and understanding your customers today and where they're going tomorrow that is what a if you have a commitment or you or you make an investment in customer or consumer insights that is what it provides
0: okay so <laughs> n- now with that Kind of, is there anything beyond that that people should be thinking about? Kind of having a bit of a checklist or how do I think about this?
1: Right, absolutely. Well, some things are, you know, at the foundation of your business um, or of your business's strat- strategic plan, it needs to be built on a foundation of understanding your customers' or consumers' needs. That includes the marketplace. So you want to make sure that you have done some due diligence to understand what your customers or consumers are doing, what the need is that you're trying to solve, and that you can solve it better than their alternatives. And some of their alternatives might be a competitive product but sometimes it's a hack completely different for example at 3m um command strips are something that's very a very popular product Mm -hmm. and this is a product that you hang on the wall you 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 it's removable you have tape you put it on the wall you can hang pictures heavy pictures even from them an alternative to that is a hammer and nail Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not another product that hangs next to it you know in in Walmart or Target. So you need to really think about this problem that you're solving. And if your companies, if the foundation of your company is built on inaccurate understanding of those needs, um, it's really can send you down a completely different path. And as horrible it is to hear something you don't wanna hear, it is much more expensive and horrible to figure it out two years down the road when you've invested a lot of money in your business, perhaps engaged R and D and and, um, started manufacturing to then realize that it's wrong. So I think that's one of the the biggest um, risks when I think about especially smaller companies uh, and companies just starting out.
0: So when we think about that, there's people always have perceptions and sometimes those perceptions are correct, sometimes they're not. So, want to touch base on really kind of myth busting some of the common misunderstandings. Sure.
1: Um, we call it bias, right? And and there's bias that you know you have, and there's bias that you don't even realize that you have. And so that is one of the most important reasons why um, it is beneficial to utilize a person who is an expert, somebody who's classically trained in doing market research, consumer insights, customer insights, et cetera. Because um, what you, it's hard to understand if you're not classically trained, is that really boring things about designing market research are what helps with um, the the, making sure that the results are fair, if you will. It comes down to the design of the of the study itself, the sample, how are you gonna reach the right people and who are the right people? How are the questions written? And in what order are they written? The choices of answers. I mean, a normal, typical person doesn't know the pros and cons of a five point scale from, from least, Don't like it at all to like it very much to a 10 point scale. There are massive differences, the weighting of the data afterward. So that's what I call, I I always say customer consumer insights is an art and a science. The science part of it is all of those things that I just described. That is what you get a benefit from when you use an expert. The art part comes in how you listen to people, in actively listening, in not interjecting your own bias, not getting pushed by what you know you need to do to get your bonus, right? But listening and also the interpretation of data. So oftentimes people think research is slow, it's expensive and it's inaccurate. Like it's just a survey. We hear all about the election polls being wrong and anybody can do it. Well, using the right experts, it doesn't need to be any of those things.
0: Okay, so if I think about kind of the perception of big and slow versus kind of quick and nimble, if yes. you're a company that's under $10 million in sales versus yeah. a bigger one, tell me about the differences of the program and how you would implement that because cost has a big impact in terms Absolutely. of the budgets and the speed to market.
1: So one thing, I love this question because, you know, I'm asked it all the time. One thing that we don't often realize is that within every $10 million or $20 billion company, there are lots and lots of smaller businesses and brands. Some are huge, some are small, some are startup, some are well-established. There isn't one giant pool of money that everybody can pull from at will so even at these larger companies there are big brands and there are small ones and believe me the budget that they have to spend is allocated appropriately to the size of their brands and businesses the consumer insights work that does get done as i I said this previously always needs to be aligned to the size of the risk Mm -hmm. is this a well-known territory that you're entering into, perhaps you already have a product and you're trying to come up with a a second kind of product line. Are you, do you understand the space in which you're entering? That's lower risk. Or are you forging new waters and you don't really know where you're going? Much higher risk. I would be likely to recommend research that's more robust when you're forging into an area that is new to you. Or will you be, investing a significant portion of your budget to this, to whatever you learn, to communications or new products or product changes, or or no, are you not? All of that will help you, working with an insights expert, determine the trade-offs of the cost of more robust to less robust research.
0: Okay. So if we think about that, who in the organization should be around the table? Because my perception is, and maybe I'm different than most, it's beyond just the marketing people, it's beyond just the advertising people, but it becomes an engineering kind of an everybody that is going to touch a product from sourcing to delivery. I mean, help me understand who should be around the table.
1: Right. Well, first of all, the first person who needs to be at the table is the business leader regardless of their function or responsibility who commissioned the work they have an invested they had an invested interest in, in learning about that the others who should be around the table i i my opinion is that it's all the affected parties or functions or capabilities so the, in that sense it depends right it depends on what the output of the research was for example if you discover a product issue and maybe that's not what you were looking for but you discover a product issue you want to have your technology people or your r d folks at the table if there's an issue with pricing you want to make sure the p l owner and finance and perhaps sourcing purchasing are at the table so in some ways it it depends a lot on what you learn in the research and I have an example here that I'd like to just share with you. Oh, we'd love that. Um, yeah. Okay, great. This is an, an example um, on Hamburger Helper, which is a product line at at General Mills, a big product line at General Mills. And um, at at one point in the process, and what I'm about to share has been publicly shared by General Mills. That's why I can talk about it today. Okay. So um, Hamburger Helper had an opportunity to determine how they can get more value out of their product offering. That sounds like an obvious question that a business leader might ask. It's also very big and broad. And so the team, uh, the Hamburger Helper team, went down a path of describing and defining what consumers value in Hamburger Helper.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And to do this, they relied on any old research that they had. Sometimes when you do market research, you ask open ends or people offer their their ver- verbatims or their comments. Typically you scour those comments for whatever the purpose of that particular piece of market research was. But usually there are lots and lots of other comments in there that you might've passed over because they weren't relevant to the point at time so if you pull out old research you can read through comments and look at results with a new lens now i'm looking at this specifically to find indications of what consumers value about my product so you scour old and existing research you talk to anybody in the company who touches the consumers maybe you have a customer service person who answers the phone you probably have somebody in sales of some kind and you talk to them uh, with this hat on about what it is that consumers value. One of the things the team, the Hamburger Helper team discovered was that consumers really didn't care much at all about the shape or size of the noodles that were inside of the various Hamburger Helper flavors. So there are many, many, many flavors, you know, Dozens, a huge variety of flavors, and in some you had maybe a elbow macaroni, and others you had, um, you know, a, 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 a spiral noodle, et cetera, et cetera. To consumers, it didn't really matter. So, Hamburger Helper walked away with this learning that um, consumers don't value that very often, and look across the portfolio. So, in this case, they included R and D. Supply chain, manufacturing, because lines would change if you change the product's sourcing, and of course the P and L owner and the marketing team, right, to discuss. And through this learning, the team was able to drastically reduce the the sizes and shapes, the variety of sizes and shapes of noodles that they offered, which improved in you know their ability to procure at, at a better price, buying the same, buying more of the same product um simplified the production line with fewer noodles having Mm -hmm. to come through different lines as well as they were able to make sure that the the noodles nested more properly uh, nested uh, in better in a more efficient manner Mm -hmm. and they were able to reduce the packaging size by one third and that had all huge environmental impact as well because it's less space on the shelf less weight on trucks or more packages can go on trucks. The retailer could use less, um, less space in their, both in the, in the supply room as well as on the shelf to sell the same amount of product. So you can see that they might've gone to learn something, but based on the learning, there were many, many parties that came to the table to hear the results and to act upon the results to make them a reality.
0: I think that's a great example of kind of involving everybody that touches the product when you have that opportunity right. uh, and that's discovered. So the as a business leader watching this podcast and they're like inspired by okay I can potentially save money by getting the the right consumer insights and they want to start a program do they start it kind of internally? Do they get a fractional person? Do they say, okay, who's out there from a consulting group that could come in? And because they have to think about their culture too. And how do they start that program?
1: Well, what they want to do is find resources that can help them determine what the best path is forward. So first of all, they can call me, right? Right. Um, i'll have my email it's dawn.cunningham at cunninginsight.com and i can help people start to wade through the questions that they have two resources that i really have always relied on one is uh the green book it's a an individual who who collects all different types of suppliers and vendors across the united states primarily and Groups them into different sorts of um, practices and methodologies, and and what what they if they if they have a certain type of expertise. Specifically, the Green Book organization once a year creates what is called the Grit Report G R I T, uh-huh. and it talks about who's leading whom in what types of market research. So I really love those two things. And also there's the Insights Association. They have all kinds of places to to go to for help, people that you can talk to, to get some guidance um, in what direction you should go. I highly advise people to not just DIY it, because you can end up just wasting money. You might spend um, less than you think it would cost to engage with a with a, a person who's classically trained. But in the end, if the insights are wrong, I, my, I, I believe that bad data is worse than no data. Because if you have it, and it's a number or a fact written down on paper, a lot of people take it as truth and you run. It'd be better to say that's something we don't know. So if you do it, if you DIY or, or you know, You don't have an expert. If you have an expert, great to DIY. If you don't have an expert, you can easily spend more money or get bad direction. That will cost you more um, as you go on.
0: Well, one of the things I want to do is get the references that you just mentioned. We'll put those in the show notes so people can look at that. So thank you. Mm -hmm. So what trends are you seeing currently uh, out there in the consumer insight space?
1: So one of the it's hard to call it a trend it's more like emerging and and being adopted and that is that whole area of automation and agile using platforms um, and and pushing some of the work that was traditionally done by a traditional market research vendor and making that easy for a practitioner to diy some of that work in-house if you will and makes it sort of foolproof. Now that is an area that has been around for more than a decade, and it's not easy to make the change. The behaviors of the people both doing research, responsible for research and those receiving research has to change. And so there's a huge change management component as well. So that is definitely a trend that is really well and formally adopted by several, but there's still an opportunity for that to um, be adopted by some. The more buzzworthy and new conversations right now are all around AI and, and machine learning.
0: That's where my and, next question was going.
1: <laughs> oh, perfect, well, we're, we're right on. So as any change comes to any industry, there's lots of angst and there's a lot of people trying to use and kind of muddle through how AI can be used within the world of research. So I see it today as being really a productive and efficient way to look through big, massive amounts of data. Even if it's historical data that you haven't used in a long time or a few years old, to look through and and isolate trends or themes or common words and to do some discovery from that. Um, I worry about AI eventually getting to the point where we're depending on AI to try to try to conjure up the meaning of what was basically the art the art side of research. The good news is that in theory, AI can reduce or eliminate bias. Mm -hmm. Unless it's built on years worth of of data that that it has consumed, that is itself biased. But in theory, you should be able to make it unbiased. As long as the people making it unbiased are themselves unbiased. So you get into that space um, on the other hand, the art of it, which I think is still important, is having heard all of the angles of the question that the business leaders are asking, and interpreting the you know the, interpreting what consumers or customers have said, and trying to make those things fit. So it's. It's out there, it's happening. It's really great for some purposes and there's still a lot of angst in figuring out how it's gonna fit going forward. But no doubt it's a huge efficiency and productivity play in the, in the case of big data.
0: Well, very good. So what advice would you give to, from a risk management perspective in your specialty on how to become or make yourself more resilient in your business? Because we know Mm -hmm. companies go out of business because they are not keeping up with the trend, being keeping up with the customer. Any, any advice?
1: I think a really raw piece of advice is to make sure you are always engaging with your customers in an unbiased way and being in an active learning. For example, sometimes You know, not calling them because you're trying to make a sale, but that you're truthfully trying to listen um, and to ask questions and to get at root cause or root meanings of comments that they say. You can employ, for example, the five whys, Mm -hmm. which is asking why at least five times. And that can be used for problem solving, but it can also be used for a person to think more deeply about why they, they, they made a comment. So making sure that you are really understanding your con- consumers or customers is one way to make sure that you are resilient. The second thing that I would say is to spend time imagining your future. So think about what your industry could look like in five years time. And you do that by considering competitors who might be entering or trying to enter. By of course, talking to customers or consumers and seeing if they're adopting any new, you know, um, hacks to getting your product or service done for themselves. The second area to make sure you're resilient is to always be having an eye to the future. So thinking about what your category will be like in say five years time, how your consumers or customers will be behaving, what their belief structure might be, how that might change, what competitors are coming into the marketplace, what hacks your customers or consumers might be adopting in place of your product or service. And you know an example that I love to use here is the taxi industry and Uber. You can imagine, in the nineties, back when Uber, before Uber existed, that if you thought about the taxi business, you thought your category was probably like taxi rides. That's Mm -hmm. sort of the category that you lived in. And people had two choices. I could either call a central taxi place and order a cab, or I could go out and and, uh, hail, hail a taxi. And it was pretty limited. But somebody at Uber, I imagine, took part of an exercise to think about what could the future of taxi rides look like? And if they looked at all of the trends around them, the adoption of technology and software, phones and apps, um, and they looked at what people didn't like about taxis, women sometimes felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. They didn't really know who that rider was. They didn't really know what direction they might be taking them. So looked at the issues too. And I imagine that they imagined a future that wasn't just taxi rides, but it was more like urban transportation or transportation. Mm-hmm. So they just taken this small category and imagined it to be much bigger. And they met some needs and solved some problems by using an app, the Uber app. Many, many problems were solved that I just described but they also could think, okay, what else might be happening? Maybe we want to get into to shipping and other kinds of transportation. People need their dogs or their children or their, the elderly transported. What does that look like? And then, oh goodness, I see a future when they're, we're driverless. What's it going to look like when maybe nobody has a car and people just call up a you know they need a ride and a car just comes around the corner and it's driverless. So imagining that future allowed a company like Uber to say, I like this space, we're not there today, but my strategic growth plans and my innovation plans are going to be creating this future. I'm going to step in and disrupt this little industry and I'm going to be the ones to disrupt. So basically, you either disrupt or you get disrupted. And that, I think, is a foundation of trying to remain resilient. Don't be afraid to look at who's coming after you and look at them very critically and see how people are changing. Imagine what it might look like in a few years' time, and then you figure out how to step into that space.
0: That's some great insight. Uh, And as people can relate to your examples, they'll be able to apply it and figure out what they're going to be doing. Now, let's move on to the Blind Spot Insider segment of the show. This is where our guests answer questions that have been submitted by our listeners. This allows the listeners to submit questions, get different insights, specifically to questions that they had that may not otherwise be covered in our episode. If you're not a Blind Spot Insider, please go and register at riskblindspots.com, plural, because we all have them, riskblindspots.com to be able to submit questions for our guests. To listen to the responses and to get exclusive content. So, with that, here's our first question. Uh, Don, I want to thank you for all the time and energy you spent today with us, giving us the information, the examples. I think this is going to be really meaningful to uh, people that listen to this podcast. Uh, So. I want you to tell us how to reach you so then I'll, and i'm going to do a recap after that
1: great well you can always find me on linkedin of course uh, you can reach me directly at dawn dot at cunninginsight.com and i'm also currently consulting with a local um, consulting organization called sivo insights s-i-v-o located here in minneapolis but with consultants All across the U.S. and around the world.
0: Well, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's recap the key takeaways that Dawn Cunningham gave us during episode 106 for Consumer Insights is really an approach to better understanding your customer, how to identify market opportunities, and customer insights may have bigger and broader impacts to your organization than just the marketing team itself. And she gave us some really wonderful advice as uh, to the Blind Spot Insiders uh, in the separate provided segment. So, if you want to hear that, please go to riskblindspots.com. Register for the Blind Spot Insider. There is no cost to that. And go to riskblindspots.com. It's plural because we all have them. Riskblindspots.com. So, Don, once again, I want to thank you for taking the time today and being with us. And we, as we help our audience, kind of expose those potential risks that can lead to what the risk moments, because we want them to get to the point where they have more, I have this victories.
1: You're welcome. And thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. And I hope to talk to yourself and your audience members more as time goes on.
0: Sounds great. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks, Larry. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in and joining this What the Risk podcast, designed to be a safe space to learn about risk, how to think about risk, and how to expose business blind spots. This podcast is about empowering you as business leaders, to reduce the stress of the unknown risks in your business, as well as the stress of decision-making by being able to identify and mitigate potential risks through the right level of due diligence. So here are three quick next steps that I need you to do. Hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to make sure you don't miss future episodes and give us a five-star rating. Share the podcast with a peer. Both of you will gain visibility to what you didn't know existed in the blind spots and go to riskblindspots.com, that's plural because we all have them, riskblindspots.com, to become a blind spot insider. You'll get exclusive advance notice of the next two episodes so you can submit questions, topics, and suggestions for our show, and tell us if we have any blind spots. Continue with us on this journey as we learn to ask the right questions, expose potential pitfalls, and turn those what-the-risk moments into I've-got-this victories.